1: with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 220, recorded October 10th, 2015. So today we're finally getting around to
0: doing some DC again. After a pretty long stint of IDWs.
1: Cool. And we get to uh, focus in on um, little solo adventures, kind of. Right.
0: Today we're doing issue 18 and 20 and 21 of... DC's Volume One series.
1: Why the cap, Donovan? Uh,
0: well, if you recall, way back in episode twenty-six, episode twenty-six, two hundred episodes ago, almost. <laughs> uh, actually, probably it probably was two hundred episodes since we have a couple of uh, Halloween or April Fool's jokes in there, right? But uh, yeah, so episode twenty-six, we did uh, issue number nineteen, which was a check-off story set during the post-motion picture era. Written by Walter Koning himself.
1: Cool. Yeah, I, I kind of remember that one. I don't remember all the de- a lot of detail, but but that was good to uh, see Chekhov on an adventure and one of Koning's uh, div- uh, writing. Yep. Yep.
0: Yeah, and set in the post-motion picture, which ah. I really yeah. like that time frame for some reason.
1: Yeah. Well, you like to see the uh, the pajamas. <laughs> the pajama uniforms. Just, it's
0: just like an unknown. Time, right? So all the other times we can pretty much nail down, you know, what happened. Uh, but 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 that just seems like a little gap of five years or something that we just don't know what happened between the motion picture and Wrath of Khan. Right. So so anyways, but these are all set after Star Trek Four, and uh, they focus on one focuses on Scotty, one Sulu, and one Spock. So we get three little side stories
1: right and captain spock so this is the first captain spock story
0: right right see how he's doing without being under kirk's watchful eye
1: yes in the mighty serac ship
0: right so uh that's enough chit chat you want to get down to business
1: enough setup yeah sure so I'm doing the first one and it's a Scotty adventure titled Rest and Recreation. Something Scotty loves to do with his technical journals. Okay so this is issue 18 it was published September 1985. Writer is Paul Kupperberg, Artists Tom Sutton and Ricardo Valgran. Letterer Agustin Mass, Colorist Michelle Wolfman, co-editors Mike W. Barr and Marv Wolfman. The cover shows Scotty with a determined look on his face as he emerges from a metal trash chamber just before a blue-colored hand presses the trash disintegration button. He just escaped death. This is an action-packed Scotty story. And all he wanted was a little rest and relaxation. Uh, there's text there that says that. The story opens with Mr. Scott in a lecture hall on Starbase 8. He is addressing cadets on basic starship engineering topics. Though he is on leave, he somehow finds himself teaching his first love, engineering. Though the young Whelps are enjoying the informative presentation, after the lecture, they all all they can do is ask about Scotty's crewmates. One asks about stories they have heard about Spock coming back from the dead. Another wants to know what it's like working for the toughest captain in Starfleet. Scotty gets angry about the whelps asking him about the business of his friends and tells them to mind their own business. Scotty takes his leave of them and bumps into Commander Joshua Helms, an old friend of Scotty's and the base commander. The old friends begin catching up, but not far into it, Joshua's old wounds come up. He made a mistake while commanding a simple survey mission early in his career and feels that Starfleet has never trusted him with anything but easy commands ever since. For example, his current command of the Starbase is a combination recreation and training center. Nothing critical or interesting ever happens here. Joshua proposes they meet a third old friend named Bill Nagula, who happens to be stationed on the station also in the supply area. Joshua says Nagula has the finest stash in the sector and bids Scotty adieu. One awkward cadet named Gulder, with a stack of books in his hands, wants to ask Scotty something and this time it's about engineering. Scotty is happy to and proposes they talk about it over a wee dram of scotch. Meanwhile in the station's supply department, a team of three men in Starfleet uniforms and armed with phasers start opening fire on everyone working in this department. Everyone except for Bill Nagula, who sees and recognizes the attackers, but is knocked out with a blow to the head. The intruders load two heavy-looking gold-colored drums into an anti-grav skiff. Two of them leave with the booty, while a third hacks the security systems and erases the security camera recordings. Now the only one who can identify them is Nagula, but they are unconcerned with anything he has to say. Meanwhile, Scotty is trying to loosen up the cadet who wants to stick to running engineering problems past the finest engineer in Starfleet. Scotty's finally able to make some headway, and many, many drinks later, the kid is still all business. Finally, Scotty gives up and says they need better scotch. He and the lad head down to Supply to meet up with Nagula. When they arrive, they see security all over the place. Joshua tells the guards to let Scotty and the cadet pass. They find Nagula is conscious but still suffering the effects of a trauma to his head. They explain a robbery took place and involved the murder of some of Nagula's men. Joshua says all they took was paper towels. Scotty can't believe robbery and murder was committed for paper towels. Nagula says he was hit from behind and cannot identify the perps. Scotty storms out with the cadet in tow to find the perpetrators who attacked his friend Nagula. Meanwhile, in waste disposal, the thieves are dumping their stolen property into the trash disintegrator. The two flunkies are at a loss why they are doing this, but the leader says this is the last place anyone would think of looking. He goes on to say, if everything goes to plan, they will all be rich men. Elsewhere, Scotty and Cadet Golder are using a station computer to find clues as to who the thieves are. They are researching the ship's manifest that brought the stolen paper towels to the station in the first place. The normal origin point of towels shipped to the station is from Earth, but these came from Narc- Narctos V. Scotty thinks the containers held something other than paper towels. One of the thieves, named Chandler, overhears Scotty and Gilder's conversation. He calls a Confederate named Lieutenant Walters, and they make plans to deal with the situation. Later, Lieutenant Walters holds a secret meeting with Commander Helms, who is in on the plot. In the end, Commander Helms tells Walters to do whatever he has to to keep the plan secret, including killing the Scotsman. Commander Helms leaves Walters to deal with the messy business while he keeps his hands clean. Scotty and Gulder barely escape an attempt on their lives in the supplies department. Scotty catches the attempted murderer and starts to pound on him to get him to talk. Suddenly, phaser fire from a high location starts hitting all around them. They escape injury, but the thief they caught used the diversion to escape. They go back to the computer room to carry out more research and discover that Narctose is a haven for smugglers known for the distribution of barbit crystals. That deadly habit-forming drug is likely what was really in those containers. Scotty figures out the best place for the barbit crystals is in the station's waste disposal pit. The constant stream of ions they could be exposed to is exactly what the drugs need to be processed into a more pure version. Scotty looks at the controls of the pit and sees that someone has altered the ion flow, but did not know what they were doing. If Scotty does not change the ion flow alignment, it could blow up the station. More of Commander Helm's henchmen show up and start blasting at Scotty to keep them away from the controls. Gulder cleverly uses a distraction that draws the thieves away from the control panel. Scotty gets back to it and begins the alignment process, but is interrupted by Lieutenant Walters. Before Walters shoots Scotty, a phaser beam set to kill comes from behind them and disintegrates Walters. Scotty assumes it was Gulder covering his back and goes back to work on the control panel. The other two thieves return with phasers pointing at Scotty, telling him to back away from the panel. They too are shot and disintegrated. Scotty has seconds to correct the ion flow. Two seconds. One second. The flow is corrected in time and the explosion averted. Commander Helms comes to Scotty with a phaser in his hand, professing his relief that Scotty is okay. Scotty sees the phaser in his hand and realizes that Cadet Gulder has no phaser, so it was Helms that shot the three thieves. He also realizes that as station commander, Helms would have all the access necessary to help the thieves cover up their misdeeds on the surveillance video. He confronts Helms with his guilt. Helms turns the phaser on Scotty and apologizes. He wanted to avoid this. He again says it's Starfleet's fault holding him back all these years. But before he can pull the trigger, Gulder tackles Helms from behind, knocking the phaser out of his hands. Gulder grabs the phaser and holds Helms at bay with it. Scotty looks down on his friend and feels pity for what the man has become. The end. That's an abrupt ending. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, kinda. I mean, it's, uh,. It's kind of like a mystery, murder mystery kind of thing. Because people did die at the beginning. Um, And in the end, Scotty finds out it's an old friend of his. So he had to do the tough thing and take him in.
0: It's funny that you called it a murder mystery. Because I kept thinking it was like uh,
1: Murder, She Wrote. (laughs) Well, yeah. There you go. So you know something happened. The protagonist is on the case with absolutely no real reason for him to be on the case at least no official reason right and uh he solves it you're right murder she wrote and he's an old dude angela lansbury was an old lady there you go there you go cool good point was that show on when this was written i'm just wondering 85 eh.
0: so yeah i'm pretty sure
1: yeah okay so i love having a scotty focus story yep Uh, now i gotta say of none of these were astoundingly good comics but i like this scotty issue the best of the three out of the three yes i would agree yeah um
0: yeah I, i like this one too um but I did think it was just a little convenient that every time he turned around he was like oh my good buddy I haven't seen in a long time and then he turns around again and, oh my other good buddy that you guys didn't know about is here knocked out so I'm now going to focus all my efforts in in finding what happened to him just uh, seemed like it was coincidental that he just happened to have a personal vested interest in not only the people getting hurt but also ultimately who was the bad guy
1: (laughs) yes isn't that convenient Right. Yes, and then convenient that he found a sidekick. He found a Watson. Mm-hmm. Uh, does Angela Lansbury have a sidekick? Not that I know of. Okay. Okay. So, we're okay. So now we're shifting to a uh, Sherlock Holmes metaphor. So he's got his young Watson aiding him. Right. Who sounds like sounds like a fine lad who can. So is that synthahol they're drinking or something? Because there's like eight cups on the drawn on the table. And supposedly right. the kid is not affected.
0: Right. And Scotty almost kinda acts like he is when he's when he's first talking to him and he's like burping and <laughs> making all these weird noises. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Kid kid uh kid can drink. And he acts like it's the first time he's ever drank.
1: Yeah, yeah. He was like when he was drinking. I assume it was Scotch they were drinking, but who knows?
0: Yeah, that's what they said. At say, first. Did the they actually Scotch? I know they just say your hardest, your finest.
1: Right. Yeah,
0: it's not. Uh, it's not Romulan ale because that's illegal.
1: Oh no, that couldn't be served in public. So it's. But isn't it Synthahol or something like that?
0: I thought the Synthahl came later with Next Generation, but okay. it might it might have been a bit around during this time too. I don't remember.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but this is supposed to be a rest and, rec- a rest and recreation place, right? So you would think that the normal rules that might say no alcohol on a ship uh, wouldn't apply to uh, an R and R station, right? But Romulan
0: brandy is or Romulan ale is illegal in the whole Federation. Okay, I'm not saying it isn't. No
1: imports Um, from Romulus. It's nixed. um, Okay, but I'm not really talking about Romulan ale. I know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying generally.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if they had Synth all back then. Yeah. Anyway. Don't remember. Don't remember. But uh, I did also think it was odd that uh, this being a Scotty story, and it has absolutely nothing to do with engineering. There's some engineering.
1: The garbage disposal. He he knew how
0: to run the garbage disposal (laughs) or
1: whatever. And what's he training? I mean, he's training on uh, engineering principles. So don't say there uh, isn't any – but the lecture
0: at the beginning, no, I'm just saying, what,
1: what, what he actually has
0: to do, what he has to actually overcome or, you know, accomplish really didn't have anything to do with engineering except for I know how to adjust the... Ion condition. flow.
1: Right. True. I mean, he really was Joe Detective. I right. mean, going into uh, shipping manifests or whatever. Um, right. So this is detective work. That is not engineering at all.
0: Yes, which I'm OK with. I'm OK with them showing other aspects of the characters. Just in any other time we've had a Scotty specific story, you know, he's always stuck on another ship with some green recruit that he has to then train and take over or whatever. You know, we, we've never seen him just do day to day stuff.
1: You uh, know, even on his yeah. off
0: time, like you said, on his off time, all he does is read manuals.
1: Well, maybe Did he, he maybe he also reads "Murder She Wrote." You never <laughs> know. Maybe he watches old Angela Lansbury episodes on the <laughs> holiday. In between technical journals, exactly.
0: So when he says that in that episode, do you think he's just BSing? or do you think he, he was being serious?
1: Oh, trouble with triples. We mean, yeah, right. No, I, th- I think he honestly. Was behind on his technical journals, and when he was given, when Kirk gave him that punishment, he was like, "Oh, great! I can catch up on my technical journals." No, I think he was very honest. What, what do you What do you think he meant? He was being a smart butt. Yeah, I to Kirk. He was
0: being a smart butt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, Scotty, come on to Kirk. No, he's the man. Kirk's the man. You don't want to be that way. So, uh, I thought Scotty's reaction to the cadets asking about Kirk and Spock was a bit re- extreme.
0: Um, well, w- I guess it, I mean, you would, want, you would want them to ask questions
1: about your own adventures, not necessarily <laughs> somebody else's adventures. <laughs> okay, so, okay, so that was my second thing I was going to get to. I mean, was it an ego thing? And it's like, I never took Scotty for an ego guy. Um, I mean, he he professes later that it's like his per, it's his personal life, right? So, no, I'm not going to tell you squat. But it's like, really? I mean, come on. I mean, nah. I, I I wouldn't be so so chuffed about it, if I may use the word.
0: Well, I think he went he went there to give them a lecture on engineering right specifics, and they just want to ask him questions about.
1: You know, people coming back from the dead. I mean, uh, quite I... frankly, if you heard about somebody coming back from the dead other than Jesus, wouldn't you want to talk to somebody who might have actually uh, witnessed it? Right. I mean, well, that's a nor- that's an understandable bit of curiosity, I think.
0: But So my thing with the whole coming back from the dead, the guy asking asks as if he... Didn't know does he not know that Spock really did die, or does he not know that Spock really came back to life because I would think both both events should be very public knowledge right you you knew he died because I mean I'm sure it was all over the news at the time that that he he died um, all over the news it, or I mean, whatever they have the equivalent of the news I mean because a lot of time passed between in the comic book continuity between. Sure. Um, Star Trek 2 and Star Trek 3 where you know they they would I'm sure it was public knowledge that he died or at least you know of part of the official record and then now he's captain of a starship somewhere so then you that would also be part of the official record so I didn't understand what he was asking is he asking that he didn't know that he
1: died or didn't know that he came back or was alive you know what I mean I think he finds it hard to believe somebody came back from the dead and he wants more information or he wants to hear sure. it from somebody who actually was there that's pretty that's pretty amazing I mean you don't hear about people coming back from the dead much not much so although supposedly Kirk did in in the movies no TV show so you've never seen a mock time uh, oh yeah, yeah yeah that's right <laughs> well, he's a dead. I know, I know. He wasn't really dead. It was the good doctor's hypo, but still. Yeah, so th- this is the real thing. This is the real death and the real resurrection, so.
0: Right. But if you think about it, he didn't really come back from the dead. He's really a clone.
1: I mean, his body wasn't resurrected. His- Interesting. Yes. He- yeah, okay, so, yes. The body was rebuilt from the cells, right? Right. Uh-huh. And I guess. His it
0: consciousness was transplanted from yes. one body to another. So
1: yeah.
0: in that regards, he has the same consciousness, or at least a copy of his
1: consciousness. But his body itself is, is a new body. I agree. I agree. But he was dead, and now he is back from the dead. Sure, sure. So that's true. So maybe that's a good enough point. But good point about it isn't a literal body coming back to life. Yes. A right. dead body coming back to life. Yes. Good point. Very good. But nobody ever points that out. They always just point out that he's came back from the dead. Not that he's maybe well. Just a, maybe if you, he's just a clone if who you, thinks that he's the original Spock. But if you think it's, if you think about it for, in general terms, he's back from the dead. Sure. <laughs> you know whether it's his exact same body or not.
0: I'm just you know. saying it's not Reboot Kirk who literally died and his body literally came back to life same body same consciousness sure. same everything sure this is a completely new body somehow aged to the exact second that his old body was when he died but still it's a new body
1: okay with with the same consciousness or a copy of the consciousness
0: however you want to look at
1: it and i understand what you're saying but i'm also saying <laughs> when people say he's back yeah, from yeah, the yeah. dead I don't think there's any qualification that says, is it the exact same body? <laughs> true, true. Anyway, but I, I understand what you're saying. Okay. So, uh, let's see. What else? Uh, so, the smuggled drugs had to be enhanced by the ion flow. Convenient. And, and these drums are actually in the disintegration pit. They're actually in the disintegration pit. I mean, we saw them throw them in. Aren't things that go into the disintegration pit disintegrated?
0: Unless they so these crystals, and then they're just heated up to a, a new form or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I it doesn't make sense.
1: <laughs> okay, so maybe, maybe they turned off the actual disintegration process and switched it into ion flow mode. So, like, no garbage was getting dis- uh, disintegrated, but, you know... Didn't expect yeah, so any of that. Where stuff. was all the garbage going? I know. I it's kinda backing up a bit.
0: Going straight in there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No. That didn't make sense. And you know the horrible the horrible thought that we would still be using paper towels <laughs> in the twenty third century also just shocked me. Paper towels, come on, you're gonna kill plants? Uh, yeah. That's can You just true. build an ionizer ray that you can just rub on your hands and it'll dry them
1: off. Come on. Exactly. Some, some, kind, of, uh, some kind of beam. Some kind of field. That's right. Just clean you off. Right. Yep. Well, at least he didn't say it was paper or toilet paper. <laughs> and well, how, how do they do that in the future, let me ask you?
0: Well, there's these shells shells do you, not, do you not know about the shells
1: no i have not heard about the shells please enlighten me
0: that's it it's a line from uh demolition
1: man when Oh i <laughs> have the same question <laughs> we got these <laughs> shells that's funny yeah. so did you ever see in farscape uh where they you find out how they take care of brushing your teeth because they don't have any toothbrushes around uh was it like a little worm or something like a little worm or something yeah and then when Crichton actually is disgusted, but then just tries it, and then he goes, "Oh, minty, minty, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I like that.
0: That was a good show. That was a great I show. Rewatch it. I never have actually finished it, but uh, I liked what I saw.
1: Yeah. Some of the people behind that are behind um, Defiance now. That that TV show. Oh, really? Some of the people. Are there are there Muppets in Defiance? No, no. Un- <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no Muppets. <laughs> I said some. That's what I loved about
0: uh, Farscape. To me it always felt like Star Wars on a uh, on a weekly show, you know, because all the creatures could look so different
1: than Right, people you know, a dude with a forehead. <laughs> right. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Alright, anyways, we're kinda of off topic. We're very off topic. Uh I think you had some comments about uh the artwork.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. So, Scotty looks good in this comic. Um, although there are some aspects of how he's drawn that aren't very accurate. At least not for the Scotty of that time period. So, uh, by this point, this, since they're talking about Spock coming back from the dead, obviously this must have happened at some point after Star Trek IV. And, um, well, he's, he's looking pretty fit scotty's looking pretty fit so uh he looks good in the uh in the uniform he doesn't have his uh his special uniforms that he was given that didn't look like anybody else's that made him look a little well it didn't showcase his heft as much so scotty is definitely uh a much fitter in this comic than he was in the uh, movies of the same time period so that was off um, a lot of times his face looked right. It did look like James II at that time period, uh, except there's some some panels that drew him with a with like really a square jaw, lantern jaw, a little bit more like a you know like a like a almost like a ship's captain or something, you know, from the sea. So that was a little off. It made him look a little bit a little bit too much the heroic square jawed uh hero mode. Uh right. but other than that, I I thought I thought the uh he he looked good. Uh, I thought the art in general was good. Um right. just Scotty was a little off in how they depicted him.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't mind that they gave him a little bit of a a slimmer look.
1: Yeah, like maybe he borrowed Kirk's girdle.
0: <laughs> maybe. <laughs> But but yeah, when he looked uh like I mean I guess we're looking at the same pictures where he looks uh where you're saying he looks like a sea captain, but but he definitely looks gruffer than than Jimmy Doohan ever did. Yeah. You know, when he has that mean look on his face like he's about to you know, rip someone's head off. Yeah. So, yeah, I see what you're saying. But what what did you think of the overall story? And, and then and then I think this is probably be my last one, but uh I mean the motivation of the commander that he he made a mistake we don't know what it exactly what it was do we i mean we don't know the specifics no we don't but somehow he thinks he's getting kept down but he's still commander of a fairly popular star base it seems
1: like sure he's in charge he of the feels show like
0: he's you know, he feels he feels like he's being passed over for promotion or whatever and so he concocts a drug running scheme it seemed really odd yeah and then he's willing to kill his best friends over it
1: well I don't know that and yeah yeah true although uh, yeah I agree it's a bit extreme but maybe the guy after the over the years he just let him he just let himself believe his own story enough that it just got him pissed but the idea that he and these other three guys I mean these guys got into Starfleet too I mean, they're killing people. I mean, right. they're not only stealing things, but they're killing people. I mean, it's like that's just not the Starfleet way. How did these guys make it past the psych evaluations? If you're willing to right. do that, it's like it just didn't make sense. But,
0: but I mean, I understand story-wise, it it made for an interesting story. It just when when I started thinking about it, I was just like, man. I don't know if I I necessarily, even not knowing what exactly he did, but he seems to be doing okay for himself.
1: Yeah. Or he could be, you know, if he didn't try to do all this other stuff. Exactly. Just relax and do your job. Jeez. Okay, so I have one last thing to say. So did Bill Nagila, or whatever his name is, um, did Scotty figure out he was part of it too, or did he get off scot free because obviously he he knew about what was going on he What does he say in the original attack where uh, three of his people are being destroyed? He says, "My God, what are you doing you don 't have to kill them now, maybe you can interpret that either way, but i I it that he knows about the plan, and he may actually be in on the plan. Also, later, he doesn't finger them. He could finger them, but he has the excuse that oh, it happened too fast. I didn't see anything. Well, obviously, he did see something. He saw who right. did it. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I mean, and the guy calls him
0: by name when he's whacking him on the head. I don't know. I, I took it that he was just you know, saying that we'll give up without you having to kill them. You know th- that kind of thing. But yeah, you're right. It could go well, either way. Okay,
1: so why did they kill Nagila then?
0: Or Nuklo? Whatever. They needed a witness, and they needed a reason for Scotty to get involved. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they're
1: gonna if they're gonna kill these other three guys, why not kill uh, Bill? No, I'm with you. I I see what you're saying. Just... Unless, of course, maybe uh, the commander could have said, when you go down and do this, you don't touch Nagila. He's my friend. Right. I don't want you touching him. So maybe, or don't kill him anyway. So maybe that's part of it, but it still doesn't explain. Was the hit on the head so bad that he couldn't remember seeing these guys gun down his people? I don't know. I think he knew that they died. I think
0: well, I don't think he didn't remember that part did he
1: well he's not he sees who these people are he sees the people that did it
0: alright but they're not people he knew it was three white guys in, in security uniforms that was it that
1: was uh security uniforms they're, well they're in regular they're in Starfleet yeah, uniforms Starfleet uniforms yeah
0: I thought it said that they were security staff at some point or they were dressed as security staff but regardless I don't
1: know whatever yeah, how um, can you tell? Red turtleneck? No, they all got white turtlenecks, right? Well, whatever. Yeah.
0: Right. Who knows? I don't
1: know. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I, my theory is he was in on it too, and I'm just wondering if Scotty ends up figuring that out too. They don't bother explaining it in the comic book, one way or the other.
0: No. no but I it's mean, just my
1: own wondering, my own musings. Yeah, once,
0: once he wakes up, they pretty much he's out of it for yeah. the rest of. the
1: right? Yeah, he never comes back.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I know that when I was reading it, I thought that he was involved. But then when he woke up and he was telling the story, I, I reevaluated what I saw before. That he was just saying, "Hey, we're gonna give up without you having to kill us." Right. But uh, but good point. And then I then I thought, well, the only reason this guy's still alive is because Scotty needed a reason. Yeah. <laughs> if, if it was just a pile of ashes, and they say, "Well, that was your friend," uh, you know, it's not that dramatic of a right. scene. Right.
1: I know why good things point. went the way they went. It's just it's, yeah. Uh, yeah I will also comment that they did a pretty good job typically on drawing the phasers.
0: They are pointing in the right direction
1: mostly <laughs> not all times, but mostly because there's I'm looking at one particular one on page five where it's a very good drawing so in the in the uh what lieutenant Walters or whatever. In his hand, it's a really great, accurate drawing. But then the guy right next to him, um, the phaser is is too far forward in his hand, so that's not that's not too accurate. But so for the most part, they did a good job drawing the phasers. Oh, that's an interesting thing. They're drawing the um, the motion picture phasers and the Wrath of Khan phasers, but didn't they start using the um, the newer design that looked a little bit more retro a little bit more like the Taz phasers in like Star Trek 4 at the very least Search for Spock Star Trek 4 8, uh, or was it 5
0: no 5 is when they had the big bulky ones. yeah they
1: had the combat phasers then but I think it was at least 3 well no at least 4 maybe 3 when they started using those other phasers you know, those, those other designs so I wonder oh. well whatever <laughs> I'm nitpicking now, <laughs> but they're back to using the uh, motion picture phasers in this one
0: hmm. Hmm. well, maybe the maybe it's just the space station. maybe it really is that far
1: out that they they're using <laughs> old do they haven't upgraded yet right <laughs> maybe, maybe all right, that it that's it. all right, cool,
0: all right, well, like I said, we're skipping nineteen, so go back to episode twenty six to hear what we had to say about that one. Uh, and so now we're doing 20, which came out November of 1985. And it is entitled Giri, which is, I assume, Japanese for duty. The writer was Winona Woods. Artists were Tom Sutton and Ricardo Villagren. The letterer was Augustine Mass. Colorist Michelle Wolfman and the most honorable co-editors Mike W. Barr, and Robert Greenberger. So the cover shows Sulu holding a sword um, leaping away from a yellow mech suit while he's holding a woman in a kimono. The caption reads Sulu goes home to learn the meaning of honor. So we start off on the Excelsior. Kirk is bidding farewell to Sulu, who will be returning to his home station of L319, also known as Mountain Dome. Sulu will be away to attend some family matters, since his family on his mother's side is a major producer of cyber suits. And cyber suits are giant mechanized Pacific realm looking suits uh, that is being used in construction of starships. So sometime later, Sulu arrives at the space station, which is actually a ring around a whole planet. Once he lands his personal craft, he is greeted by a cousin. The two of them then travel to the family patriarch and we find out that Sulu is in town in order to attend a wedding between his cousin and a man from a rival Mechsuit corporation and the plan is that these this union will unite the two families and stop some ongoing family feud while Sulu is getting a tour of the Mechsuit factory one of the large cybersuits malfunctions and almost squashes the humans Sulu is able to quickly mount the robot monster's back and switch it off before his elderly uncle could die. Sometime later, Sulu waits in a garden for the soon-to-be bride cousin named Keiko. While there, he recalls the last meeting he had with his lovely cousin. The two were in this very garden, and Sulu tells her that he must attend Starfleet. But he will never stop loving her. The two shared a romantic kiss in front of a panoramic view of space and the planet below. Back in the present, Keiko finally arrives. The two talk about how she will be marrying into the other cybersuit clan, and this should end the long-going rivalry. She, like Sulu years ago, must put duty above what her heart really wants. The two then share a passionate night together knowing it will be their last. Unknown to them, Keiko's fiancé is witnessing the whole thing, and he vows that he's been planning to destroy the whole family. It looks like marriage will not end the family feud after all. He has vowed vengeance for something that happened to his father years ago. Later at the wedding, Keiko and the vengeful Rigero are wed in a traditional Japanese ceremony. In the dinner that proceeds, Sulu notices that Ruggiero is acting odd and insisting that the elderly patriarch drink some sake from a particular cup. Sulu, catching on to this, organizes a toast where the groom must share a drink with his new father-in-law. Knowing that his poisoning ploy is up, Ruggiero instead pulls a sword and he plans to outright kill the old man. Sulu is faster, and he blocks the sword with some large chopsticks. The two of them fight, sticks versus sword, until Ruggiero attempts to get away and jumps into a small tram car. Sulu leaps on top of the car and travels along with him. Once the tram stops, Ruggiero makes a run for it, but Sulu is there. The two battle their way to the large hangar where the cybersuits are. Ruggiero clambers into a yellow one while Sulu is able to get inside of a pink one. The two of them have a Kaiju sized fight within the space station. Eventually the fighters smash their way through the hole of the station and are floating in space. Sulu's mech is able to grab a nearby metal scrap and he uses it to slice off one of Ruggiero's arms and spear his mech through the chest. The battle is over and the giant, pink mech locks onto the yellow one and tows it back to the station. Later, Sulu is leaving to return to Starfleet. Keiko tells him that her duty means that she must stay with Ruggiero regardless of how he's been acting. He claims that he understands this, and then he retreats to a shuttle to return to his true home, the Excelsior.
1: The end. Well, Interesting. So... Uh, I can't get away from the fact that this story is inconsistent with Sulu's origin that we know and that what that he's from San Francisco
0: yeah I've always wondered when he says San Francisco was home if he meant you know that's just where they went to the academy or and he's human so he's home as far as it being earth um, which is ultimately the home of all humans but yeah
1: I don't know no, I, I think he was born in San Francisco. I think we get that very clearly in Star Trek Four. He's 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 very happy to be back in San Francisco. Um I, I I think that's where he's from, but that's really what I got from it. Certainly not from uh space station mountain dove and he's <laughs> rich and everything. Um that's kinda weird. Also But that's that's on his mom's side. But no, I'm totally I'm with you hundred percent. I'm just Right. I mean obviously he spent enough time there. He didn't he say something about uh learning how to how to work you know, run one of these mechs uh right. when he was a kid or something? Or mm-hmm. I mean right. a kid? Okay, so he was he was on and, and I'm pretty sure it's Mountain Dove space station. Is it Mountain Dove? I thought it was Dome. Well if you Oh no, you're
0: right. When I look at the actual Space Station uh, sign. Space Station. It's very, it's says, very handy
1: for them okay. to have that big sign there on it.
0: <laughs> Oops. Nope, you're right. But it is Dove. Okay. But in the in the text, does it say Mountain Dumb or Mountain Dove?
1: I, I think the text isn't incredibly clear. Okay. You no, know, it could definitely be clearer.
0: And uh, now that I expand it, you know, because I was reading this on the on the tablet. I right. Always expand it to as big as it can get. Uh, there you yeah. Yeah. When you expand it big enough, it's Dove. Right. Oops. Oh, well. Okay. Anyway, yes, I'm with you 100%. Him growing up on a space station was a complete surprise to me.
1: Yeah, big time. Also, I'm just trying to get the time frame right. I mean, this is – I mean, I assume this is somewhere in the same ballpark of the last story uh, from the previous issue. Issue 18. Right, Right. although it doesn't have to be because 19 went back to uh, motion picture time frame. Right. But let's just say he's somewhere in the movie three, movie four, whatever time frame. Um, shouldn't he have already been married and had Demora by this point? <laughs> you're bringing
0: in stuff that hasn't been established yet, Ken. Tisk tisk.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay.
0: Okay. Good. But point. you're right. It, point. it is definitely after Star Trek three because Kirk is captain of the Excelsior.
1: There you and go. That, and that's there you go. Leaving, so. Exactly. So,
0: yeah. Time frame wise, and knowing what we know from generations, you're right. He should okay. already be married, or at least have a
1: kid somewhere else. Yep. Okay. So, good point. That that hadn't been established yet. Okay. But I'm just saying, this was all bothering me. Right. Almost, well, when... almost as much as him having a sword fight with chopsticks. <laughs> oh my god! And I don't care. And I don't care right? if they're big chopsticks. They're chopsticks.
0: <laughs> yeah, I kept. Oh my I kept, god! I kept going through them, going, surely they're not chopsticks. <laughs> you know, I kept looking for. Did he grab something else? But no, he's eating rice in one panel. He pours the sake, and then he's fighting with what I assume he was
1: eating the rice with, which was a chopstick. <laughs> they look like chopsticks. They look like they look like beefy chopsticks. But still, they're wood. And Sulu is that? Oh, he's good.
0: That he can stop a samurai
1: sword with two little chopsticks. Yeah, multiple times. And he says multiple times, "This guy is a lousy swordsman." But come on, he's got a katana. I mean, come yeah. on. Anyway, <laughs> no, I had the same same problem. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, I have another question. Uh huh. The Excelsior shuttle Sulu was manning to get to the space station has um, the call signs NC-1138, just NC-1138. So what's the deal there? Well, it's a
0: smaller shuttle, so it doesn't need that extra C.
1: Okay, so the Galileo 7's ID, a registration number, was NCC-1701-7. Right. So its its registration ID is tied with its mothership. Exactly. So this one is NC, and there should be a second C there. Sorry, one one three eight, and uh, the Excelsior's registry is NCC two thousand. So makes well, at this no point, sense. it's still NX two thousand? Mm, I doubt that. It's. I think it's NCC two thousand. Are you. Uh, no. I didn't think it was NCC until Star Trek 6. Okay, well, I looked up the registration code. And so if you yeah. want to tell me that uh, Memory Beta or Alpha, whichever one that brought it up on, is wrong, then that's fine. But I think it's NCC 2000.
0: Yeah, in Star Trek 6 it is, but in Star Trek 3, it was NX 2000. <sighs>
1: Okay. Let's put that on the side <laughs> and say there's no relationship to that Shuttle's registry uh to the Excelsior. Agreed. And it's and, and it's it a is very so far shuttle. it is so far off that uh it makes no sense to me. Right. They just they just grab something out of the air. Agreed.
0: And and here was my justification for it. I, it. Because it's such a weird little shuttle, yeah. it doesn't look like a Federation shuttle, I thought that maybe it was like a little one-man shuttle that, that they use, and maybe it has different registry because it's not actually assigned to the ship. It's so small, it's got only one C. <laughs> I was kidding about dropping the extra seat. <laughs> but, but that was what I was going for. Yeah. It was just, uh, it's not actually assigned to the ship, and Sulu's just, like, renting it or something. Uh, like Maybe it's
1: a personal He's renting route. it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know. Okay.
0: I yeah. mean, to do does the Starfleet give you, let you borrow, you know, military equipment whenever you want to go home and visit your parents? I don't, I would think that there would still be some sort of, you know, Enterprise rental car in the future that, uh, uh, that you can rent little, little skippers from or something like that.
1: Okay. I don't know. I'm making stuff up. It's so. Captain's prerogative. And we've seen many times in the Star Trek universe where people have taken shuttles off for little jaunts and having little adventures. Funny about that. Sure. Um, yeah. Maybe. You know. Maybe. But if they... I'm on that space station
0: work in the trash compactor or trash ionizer, whatever it was, and I decide to go to my hometown for a wedding, is the captain going to let me borrow a shuttlecraft or a runabout or whatever to go? No. Why not? They got better things to do with the shuttlecraft than let me go
1: go visit uh, my house. <laughs> Captain's prerogative, <laughs> that's all I have to say. <laughs>
0: I'm just saying. I'm pretty sure there's there's some sort of commercial use. And may maybe that's not commercial because you know money doesn't exist. But some sort of uh, non-military equipment you could take.
1: You're you're right, John. Matter of fact, now I'm looking at it a little closer, and now that I'm blowing it up, I can see it has some extra letters, identification letters there. Avis. You're right. You are right, my friend. Avis. It's a rental car. Okay.
0: <laughs> I was actually looking, trying to find out, what is he seeing this? <laughs> no. Uh, <it's> funny. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. All right, well, let's talk about what we need to talk about. Okay. Two things. Okay. One, it's his cousin. Yeah. We, we don't know if it's first cousin or second okay. cousin or third cousin, but... Oh, they just call her cousin. The cousin I'm
1: in love with. And uh, that's weird. It's a bit... um, I mean, I'm not sure how far apart you're supposed to be before it becomes non ooky but (laughs) I don't know. I think cousin's a little close. Right. You know. Right. So,
0: that that to me was weird. And that... uh, they do, you know, at least kiss and stuff, which she's going to get married the next day. Which you would think that her duty wouldn't allow her to do that either, right? But then once they get married and he goes all nuts on exactly to kill her family, uh, that scene and you know nothing happened at the wedding, so you could get that annulled. You know, <laughs> it's not well, a consummate
1: marriage yet. Well, they they drank out of the sake bowl, right? I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought the ceremony was concluded.
0: Yeah, he says, "Uh, nothing can force it. No force can sunder it, or something like yeah. that." Yeah, Well, yeah, uh,
1: yeah, and then at the very, I'm just
0: saying, I think when you're trying to kill your uh, your family, uh, you can you can get a divorce.
1: I think probably so. Something's wrong with that dude. Yeah, and and at the end, she is like totally committed to him. So maybe she. Learn the true meaning of honor also but she's like hey i mean she's really like no you gotta go you gotta go. this is my husband i don't care what he does this is my husband you gotta go so it's like okay so not only is it a one 180 uh but it's like she just seems so definite about the fact that this is her man and she is, she is gonna stick by him no matter what. So, just seemed which odd. I would
0: be okay with. I would be okay with that if she actually loved him, and if she maybe saw that there was still good in him, or something. You know that he's not all evil. He was doing it for some misguided thought on revenge or something like that. But no, he's just seems like they really just met. It's a marriage of convenience. He's total nut. Nutso. Exactly. And she's like, well, I got to do it. Even though I was, you know, smooching on you the day before, which technically I don't think I should have been able to do, but somehow I could. <sighs> but I can't anymore. Yeah. Well, once you drink from the sake cup, no more smooching.
1: <laughs> well, in the end, it was a clean break. So it did allow there to be a clean break. So I guess from that standpoint, um, I guess mission accomplished. That now Sulu can go back to the Excelsior and uh, have his adventures, right?
0: And I know the timing doesn't work out right, but wouldn't it be funny if this was uh, Demora's mom? That maybe they did do a little more than
1: in there in the garden, and he has a kid that he doesn't know about until later. So you're mm-hmm. saying that she gets, they get back together again later? I mean, because because I, I thought. He he had a family and a wife and everything all this time. Does it ever? Or at least
0: says that he has a kid.
1: No, you don't have.
0: You don't have to be there all that long to to get a kid.
1: When the revelation about um, when the revelation comes out about how Sulu has a family and how did he have time for a family? And it's like it was family. It was not one kid that you didn't know about. <laughs> I mean, at least I, I had the impression that that yeah, was complete no. with a wife, but right, or at least a long, long,
0: long-standing relationship with somebody. Yeah. Well. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm, 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 I'm just trying to make this fit into something that it's not supposed to fit into. <laughs> it's yeah. It's it's a comic.
1: It's a one-off comic book. Right.
0: Yeah. And nobody that wrote Star Trek Generations knew that this thing existed. Oh well. I'm sure
1: well I don't think they, if they knew about it they didn't care <laughs> right comic book isn't well, gonna no, nor should they because this continuity gets rebooted in a few years anyway exactly basically. right
0: alright my last comment Rock'em Sock'em Robots or uh, giant mech creatures I mean either way you want to talk about it this episode was a little, little odd in that they shoehorned
1: that dynamic into Star Trek yeah it was Pacific Rim 2 uh, let's see. Let's see those guys fight each other. So uh, I thought that was a little ridiculous. However, you know, it, it definitely gave it a, an interesting twist uh, that I was not expecting. But uh, so, yeah, rock'em sock'em robots. That's it.
0: Right? Yeah. You you never hear of giant mechanized robots helping put ships together, no. but I mean, it kind of makes sense. What? You would need something stronger, but. I don't know why it would be
1: humanoid form. Okay, and, and why does it – for the new ships, they need it more so than the old ships. So Constitution class, for example, versus the Excelsior class. Um, right. Oh, they need them even more. Or they need – it. they really need them for the new ones. It's like, well, why? And it, and,
0: yeah, it doesn't make sense oh, it, unless it, they're just it, really trying to pump out the transwarp. I mean because that's what he says. Since they introduced the transwarp ships, we've been really busy, but – uh, right. I mean, unless they're pumping them out faster now that they got new technology, or or what, it doesn't explain why. No.
1: And really, what would you be using those big huge things for? You know, maybe to take big pla- big metal plates and that kind of stuff, moving that around. Right. But you're not going to do anything on the inside of the ship with those things. Right. Um, and and all that's going to be out, out in space where there's no gravity, so you don't need a giant mechanized robot to do it. Right. Or like thrusters or
0: something.: Or: or, like if you, or
1: if you do have robots, how are you building the outside of the ship in space? What do you need legs for? I mean, right. it, it's going to be something that doesn't really look human. It's going to be something like a box with, mm-hmm. with thrusters or something around it, and maybe multiple arms. I mean, why even make it look like a, like a yeah, human?:: it, it should look like a giant forklift, or something like that something. Yeah, yeah, probably. No, I'm with you. you It should not be human. You're not walking around. You're you're floating in space. Anyway, except for it makes a cool fight scene. It does. And what also makes it a cool fight scene is the way they drew some of these things. So you would think that a construction robot would be fairly utilitarian, a la uh, aliens or something, right? right? Yeah. This thing has two talons. Maybe talent isn't the right word. It's like fangs. So on the front of the head, there are these two kind of like fangs coming out of it. What the heck do you need to... To make it look like an ant head or something like that. An ant head or um, those are supposed to be like incisor teeth or something. It's supposed to make it look scary. What the heck do you need those two spikes sticking out of the head like that for? Are you going to pick things up with that? A spike? (laughs) And how about the hands? The hands are just claws. So they come, they're big, they, they they got a thumb, great, grab things, whatever. But they're basically tapered to a very sharp, or it looks like a sharp point. So they look like they're the kind of things that would either ripping flesh or, you know, like, like sticking their fingers through metal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or, and you know... Ugh. It's like, you don't want to do that when you're constructing a ship. You don't want to put scratches all over it. No. You want something kind of roundish and maybe rubbery or something. You want to grab things and move them to places and hold them in place. You don't want to be spearing them. Right. Right. And the arms and legs and back all have these weird spiky things on them. Yeah. So, mission accomplished if you want it to look intimidating and scary. Not so much if you want to have construction robots. Right. Anyway. Couldn't agree with you more, Ken. Could not agree more. There you go. My last thing. I was wondering why after they got married everybody was shouting about a small tree. Oh. Bonsai! Bonsai <laughs> So I was like okay, this can't they can't be shooting they can't be shouting small tree, small tree So I went ahead and looked it up. And uh, apparently um, bonsai with a Z means literally means 10,000 years of life and translates to long life or hurrah. And bonsai trees are apparently with an S. So B-O-N-S-A-I as opposed to B-O-N-Z-A-I. There you go. So,
0: Mr. Mr. Miyagi doesn't say that it means long life when he's teaching Danielson about the uh,
1: the tree. Apparently not. Oh, I thought he did. Uh, so they use that in uh, what? Karate Kid. Karate Kid. Karate Kid. Okay. I I thought they did, but I might. Oh, they I might have. So long since I saw uh, Karate Kid, I don't know. I wasn't that crazy about that movie. So I think I watched it once, and that was it. Right. So anyway. All right. Cool. Next. Anything else? That's it. Let's do 21. Okay, 21. Title, Dream World. Published date, December 1985. Writer, Bob Rosacles. Artist, Tom Sutton and Ricardo Vilgran, Letterer, Augustin Moss. Colorist, Michelle Wolfman. Editor, Robert Greenberger. The cover shows a huge, monstrous version of Spock attacking Spock and a female crew member. Spock is blasting the hideous version of himself with a phaser. Captain's log. The Sarak is entering orbit around a planet named Proto, that is near the boundary of unexplored space. Our mission is to explore this new world, which the captain confesses curiosity about. Captain Spock completes his log and comments on how the landing party will wear full life support suits, Though his first officer. Commander Brinks reports sensor, Sensors say it's a Class M planet. Spock cannot believe it due to the planet being 457 million miles from its sun. The place is becoming a mystery, and they will take no chances. Spock calls for the landing party to consist of Dr. Su- Chusa and Commander Brinks. In a conversation with Helmsman McCarthy, Commander Brinks makes it clear she is not, going, she is not getting along with Captain Spock. The, condo, the condescending way he speaks to her, as if she's an idiot. The three start the transport cycle in full spacesuits, but when it completes, Spock finds himself alone on the planet without a spacesuit on. He enters a nearby cave, thinking the rest of the landing party may have materialized there. During Spock's travels in the cave, he is confronted by multiple illogical things, including meeting Mr. Scott, his mother, Mr. Sulu, and Captain Kirk. He realizes it is some kind of dream he is experiencing, and finally finds a way to wake up through the use of a Warner Brothers cartoon stick of dynamite, lit by Commander Brinks. Spock finds himself in sickbay, lying next to the unconscious bodies of Brinks and Chusa. The doctor in attendance explains they found and beamed them back from the surface when they lost contact with them immediately. Spock says there must be something in the planet's atmosphere that affected them immediately. Of course, they were in spacesuits. Because he does not remember materializing on the surface. So far, they have not been able to awake them. Apparently, Spock found a way to snap out of his dream state, but the others have not. They may not be able to. Spock decides he must enter their dreams via a mind meld and retrieve them. Spock first enters Dr. Chusa, and finds that the doctor is dreaming that he is flying. His people lost their wings long ago in their evolution, but having them back is an exhilarating experience for the doctor. Surprisingly, Spock finds he can fly also, and is eventually able to snap the doctor out of the dream state. Next is Commander Briggs. Spock finds her being threatened by a huge humanoid monster. Spock uses his phaser and begins to drive it away, but Brinks shines an incredibly bright flashlight in his eyes that gives the creature a chance to grab Spock and hoist him up. Spock is brought close enough to see the huge monster has his face. Spock shouts at Brinks to use the phaser. Brinks is scared and freezes at first, but eventually finds the phaser and shoots it. They both wake up in sickbay. Later Spock and Brinks are on the bridge as they break orbit. Spock has classified Proto a hostile planet and recommends no further landings be attempted. Captain Spock asks Brinks to join him in the conference room for a talk. That he starts by asking her where her subconscious gets inspiration for its monsters. The end. That was a quick one. Yes. Well, I really saw no point in going into the details of Spock's journey through Never Never Land. Right. Yeah, it was a very confusing read. Yeah. Yeah, so we got to be tripping through uh, the three landing party members... Uh, dreams, and really, they spent a lot of time with Spock's dream, which is fine. That makes sense. It's just, um, yeah, it was like, okay, I didn't find it an overly entertaining issue. No. So.
0: No, the best part, and and I, and I loved your explanation. The uh, stick of dynamite <laughs> to blow <laughs> Spock out of the concrete.
1: That was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So Spock's in a space... Most of the Dreamland, he's not in a space suit, but all of a sudden he's in a space suit, and the lower... His legs are in concrete. (laughs) And then Brings helps him out with a stick of dynamite. That snaps him out of it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so... uh, So what do you think of uh, Dr. Chusa... Birdman. Birdman. Harvey Birdman.
0: Uh, different?
1: Yes. Quite different. Um you know at first when when he's like talking normally, speaking normally, I'm thinking how the heck can he speak English with a beak? And then Universal
0: I translator. And
1: then I re- okay. And then I remember the fact that uh like parrots do it all the time. So I was like, okay. <laughs> okay, maybe I should back off on that. I guess you don't need lips to uh, enunciate certain things. Anyway, yeah, universal translator that could be doing it too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. W- when I first saw it, I kind of rolled my eyes. Oh, bird people! But then, you know, it, it's such a double standard that I I roll my eyes when Star Trek does it, but you know, when Green Lantern has nah. you know, <laughs> bird-looking people, and I'm I'm okay with that for some reason. Uh, but if Star Wars or Star Trek tries to do it, I'm like, oh,
1: bird people. Well, th- th- there is like a squirrel, Green Lantern, right? He's not a squirrel. He just somewhat looks like a squirrel.
0: <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> I mean, at least be a raccoon, really. Anyway. Yeah,
0: exactly. If you're going to forgive Rocket <laughs> Raccoon, then you're going to forgive Because he came way before Rocket yeah, Raccoon. Yeah, right. Anyway. No, No, uh, yeah, so... At first I rolled my eyes, but then I was like, well, I'm going to have to. I can't I can't be like that. <laughs> you know, there's there's all kinds of species out there in the universe, and right. I'm sure some some are going to look a little avian, so I just got to go with well, it. Well, yeah,
1: and you mentioned about how much you thought was good about Farscape and the fact that they had wha- uh, wacky-looking uh, aliens that look very different right. from people. So there you go.
0: Yeah, I guess I just don't like it when the aliens look too much like animals we have here. Right. I, don't, I don't like it when it looks like a, a bird that I can see outside. I don't like it when it looks like a fish. You know, if it has some of those traits I'm okay with, but when it looks just like a fish, but with <laughs> in a space it turns me off.
1: I agree. And my first reaction to the good doctor was like, oh my god, that's ridiculous. But I had to pull myself back. Had to pull myself back from the edge.
0: Right. Same here. But then they turned into uh, Plastic Man or Mr. Fantastic there towards the end of his dream,
1: which I thought was funny. Yeah. So uh, I thought Lieutenant McCarthy looked interesting. So he looks like a rugged sea captain again. This big, huge red beard, and he's got really long, curly, thick hair around the side of his head, and he's got a bald top. Okay, he's bald on bald top. Bald on top. So I thought, what what interesting choices? Right. Uh, on how to draw this guy. So.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and then, and I was never sure if he was really siding with with uh, with her, you know, about her prejudices. Uh, you know, she seems prejudiced against Vulcans. Or at least half breeds, as she puts it. Yeah, that's and not good. And I was good. never sure which which side he was on. Is he is he still sticking up for the captain, or is he you know agreeing with her but only doing what he needs to do to to you know
1: not get in trouble? I think it's more the oh. latter than the former because you think so. Well, he's a total kiss ass, uh, kiss butt. <laughs> so when Spock says, "Oh, I'm going to do the mind meld and pull them back out," he's like, "That's a wonderful idea, sir. Where do you come up with these?" It's like. <laughs> okay, he didn't do the where do you come up with these but it's like that's a wonderful idea sir I mean it's like he just sounds like a total suck up yeah Anyway, I, I don't know I, I would have
0: just liked to explore that dynamic more than the dream world which the dream world ended up being you know two thirds of the book sure. you know I was really into the book up until it started going looney tunes like <laughs> were you okay good I mean I, I liked, you know, she she thought he was questioning her orders because she he you know, she thinks he thought she was incompetent right. not just because, you know, he's very logical and you know, asked her to redo it. You know, I don't think he meant anything of asking her to check her readings, but well. Wow. You know, I would I would have liked more of, you know, getting a resolution for that story or at least exploring that story more than just you know, starting with page 3 going into you know
1: the weird dreamscape. Right. Well, they come back to it at the end, so... Yeah, one one dialogue oh, box. That doesn't well, count. I, maybe we'll get more of this. Maybe. I, I found it just to be recycling existing ideas. I mean, didn't we just... At the at, at the early part of the series... Didn't we have problems where Kirk was riding Savick... Because she wasn't as Johnny-on-the-spot as Spock... Uh, with things, and it's like she, she, yep. is, you know, she's not that long out of the academy, kirky old man, so you know. And it, this seemed like a similar thing to me, but in this case, Spock was like, you know, I could do that job standing on my head. So snap, snap, let's come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, Brinks, you're a little slow here. Oh, so you're you're siding with Brinks on that? Well, you think he he did mean well something to so some that. degree? I mean, I. I think she's overreacting, right? But I also think there's probably some blame on Spock too. Right. I'm trying to be fair and balanced. Okay. I wasn't. I was like, she's mean. <laughs> Did I mean anything by that? She's a bad person. A, she's a bad person. That's right. Well, half breed comment. There was no reason for that. Yeah. Even no. if he was riding her, that's uh, that's not good see see yeah I agree I, I, all I'm saying is you were putting it all on Brinks and I think there may be a little to be to be put on Spock also right
0: anyway. alright well can I uh, tell you something truthful sure out of the three books that we did today this one was my least oh okay bad. yeah
1: this one was kind of bad
0: and can I tell you what my favorite part of this book was your favorite part it's yeah, there's there's three pages in this book that I absolutely love. Oh, the dynamite? That wasn't on three no. pages. Right. There's three different pages. The first page yeah. was right in the middle of the book, right where the staples are. Oh, yeah. Is this two, an ad? Two-page spread of NBC's fall lineup for Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I spent a
1: lot of time on this page. Yeah. So we got Mr. T, and we got Spider-Man, and uh, okay. Is that Silver Surfer? Smurfs. No, that's Iceman. Oh, Iceman. Okay.
0: Yeah. No. So, uh, so I spent a lot of time on this page, and I was talking to my wife about it. I was like, eh, "So, which ones of these did you watch? You know, because back when you were a kid, y- you had to you had to plan out your day, your Saturday morning. Wh- which which network were you going to watch at Which time frame? Because that was that was all you got as far as cartoons exactly. for the whole week, and you didn't have a DVR. <laughs> all right. So you had VHS uh, we, we went... though, didn't you? Yeah, but uh, not probably not at this time. Okay. I don't remember, but anyway, so we went we went through this page. Like I said, spent a lot of time on that, and then the very last page, you know, the cover was was CBS's version of the same thing. So, uh, you know, advertising Dungeons and Dragons and Muppet Babies and things like that. So, and Bruce uh,
1: Springsteen, so, Bruce Springsteen concerts. Uh, did it say that? <laughs> the uh, the the girl, the blonde, short haired girl in the back. That has those ridiculous glasses on. Ridiculous black glasses on. Says, not since the Bruce Springsteen concert. Oh, you're back on the, uh, the, the two-page spring. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what, what That's other? That's a guy. That's a guy? The very, yeah, it's a guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> on the very last page, there's a, there's a CBS advertisement oh. for uh,
1: kids just want to have fun. Okay, exactly. let me go to the end, I, the CBS one. Okay, the, okay. So before the mask team, right? I guess. Yeah, that's oh, the the, the, the Hulk Hogan rock and wrestling. Yep. Oh, my god, that's terrible! That's funny. Yeah,
0: but brings back memories from my childhood. Really?
1: Were you into Wuzzles?
0: No, but but my wife said she was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, this looks kind of wimpy. I mean, except for Hulk Hogan.
0: Yeah, I mean, it has Muppet Babies and Dungeons and Dragons. That was, I think, the only thing I watched. But I'm just saying, the whole concept that you had CBS, NBC, and ABC—that was how you spent your Saturday morning, yeah. and you had to bounce back and forth. Yep. You know. So seeing these ads, I love them. Good point. Anyways, uh, so and it had nothing
1: to do with the story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nothing to do with the story, but I loved them. Those were my three favorite parts of the okay. book. Okay. <laughs> cool. Cool. All right. Anything else for you? Nada. All right. All right. So next week we'll be back here and we'll do DC volume 2, 21 – or I'm sorry, 22 through 24. Cool. So I think that gets us back into Kirk and his Excelsior days. So. Okay. Which is interesting. That'll be
1: interesting. Because I knew nothing yeah. about Kirk commanding the Excelsior. Right. So that's in the comic books you. and that's in Expanded Universe Novels? Nope, just the just, just the books. comic books. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, then uh, we'll be back next week. Okay. Sounds wonderful. Thanks for joining us, everybody. On the review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios, Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t book review at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at First Name, ST Comic, Second Name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek comic book review. Let's get the hell out of here.